0: Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 through 19, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles beginning on page 192 or on the screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Colossians 2 verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him." when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food or and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you insisting of self-abasement and worship of angels dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body from from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a a growth that is from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: If this is your first Sunday with us, again, I want to welcome you. I want to say welcome home, if I can say that. And we have been working through a teaching series that we're calling, and have been calling, Rooted in Christ. The the, the series is called, We Are Made for Community, Created for Community. And the the message this morning, of course, will, will support that, Rooted in Christ. And the point that we've been trying to make since the start of the series is simply this, that we are actually better together. We are better together. I wonder if you could say that with me. We are better together. And it's really true. We are created to be part of something that is actually bigger bigger than ourselves, and I don't think there's anything bigger, there's nothing that is more fabulous than the kingdom of God and the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any bigger than that. It doesn't get any better than that. And by the way, this is the greatest apologetic, I think, for why it is very important that each of us are actively participating in a local church. We're better together in all the ways that you can think about it, And the church, God has given us the church so that through the church, we can live out the purposes for which God has called us. So our name on the church roll is not enough. Your seat in the pew is wonderful, but it is not enough. And you say, well, why do you say that, Pastor? Well... Let's just go back to some foundational things. This is in Genesis chapter 1, and we read these words, Then God said, let us make humankind in our image and according to our likeness. And, of course, you could read pages after pages written by commentators on Scripture trying to unpack what do the scriptures mean when they say, let us? And one possibility I've heard people say is that when God said, let us, God was speaking to the angels. And it's as if God were saying, angels, come now, let us us create, let us make man in our image. And let us give them the responsibility to take care of this temple that we call earth, let us. That's, that's one possibility. The other possibility that I've often heard, and I, I tend to agree with this possibility, is that when the Lord said, let us, God was referring not to the angels, but to the fellowship of the three eternal persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That this God who lives eternally in community and in fellowship with the Son, and with the Spirit, were actively involved in creating humanity, actively involved in creating the world, and so inviting the world to be in this fellowship and this community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I read again the prayer that Jesus prayed for the church in John 16 and 17, you see some echoes of that where Jesus prayed that, Father, that you would make them one, even as we are one. This idea of union with God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then you turn to Genesis chapter 2, and then the Lord said, it is not good. God said these words, it's not good for the man, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. And so God has created us to be in community and fellowship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God has created us as human beings to be in fellowship and in community with each other. We're we're not made to be alone. We're not made to be isolated and to be cut off and to be marooned on an island of our own making. We are made to be in community with God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and with other image bearers. But then we turn to Genesis chapter 3, and something happened where God's design, God's purpose, God's plan for humanity was disrupted. It was ruptured by human sin and by human rebellion. And whereas there should have been union with God and with each other, we now find that there is disunion. The first murder in the Bible was committed in the very next chapter, where there should have been communion with God and each other, we have a breakdown in communication. And I think, maybe you don't agree with me, but I think that the greatest penalty, the greatest penalty for human sin and rebellion then is alienation. Alienation. And just this week, I was listening to a podcast where the presenter talked about loneliness in America, and said that over 30% of people in this country are profoundly alone. They have no friends. They may have associates at work and, and, and some connection to family. But in terms of a community, a sense of belonging, a sense where they're known, that about 30% of Americans are suffering gross loneliness. The greatest penalty for our rebellion and our sin is alienation, alienation from God and from each other. And so so today, we have a problem. As a human race, we don't know how to speak to each other anymore. We don't trust each other. We treat each other. We treat each other, especially as women. We treat women as sex objects and not as... Sisters, we don't treat women as fellow human beings created by God. Alienation between man and woman, we don't know how to forgive. We don't know how to treat each other well, even in the church. And instead, what we do is, friends, we build walls. Maybe you don't realize it, but maybe you have a wall built up somewhere in your life that because of alienation, you don't know how to forgive. And on a day today like Father's Day, there, there is such enormous alienation that exists in families today where there's been this breakdown and we're blaming and we're casting guilt. And we're not sure how do we navigate, how do we get through, how do we remove that wall. We build walls, walls of fear, walls based on skin color. Yes, in this country, walls that we've built based on class and on nationalism, walls that we've built based on language can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, go back to your country, speak English. We've built walls based on politics. And there are people who don't talk to other family members anymore because of politics. And then we've built walls based on a false sense of pride. Many of us have swallowed the lie, maybe not in this church, I hope, but, but in places in our country have swallowed the lie that, that somehow they believe they're better than other people or that other people are better than them. When you read through the rest of scripture, you see this horrific trail of the brokenness of human interactions. You see incest, you see murder, You see lives. you see enslavement of other human beings, you see war, you see sexual perversions of every imaginable practice. You see a breakdown in families, alienation. You see it. And when the family begins to disintegrate, it affects our neighborhoods and our schools and our churches and our world. It's happening and you see it all through Scripture. And so what did God do? Did God walk away and say, "I'm going to do it all over again?" No, God said no. God decided to call a people. And God said, "I'm going to show the world what it means when my people walk in union with me and with each other." And God called a man called Abraham and the children of Abraham. And they became the people of Israel. They became the called-out ones, the kahal, the called-out ones, the Old Testament church, if you will, that they would be light to the nations. But friends, as you know the story, they tried and they tried and they tried and they failed because there is something within us that resists union with God and with each other. And I think John Calvin was right. I think John Calvin put his finger right on the nub of the problem. He said that the human heart is a perpetual factory of idols. Even here in our lives right now, and we were talking to the staff last week about idolatry, how easy it is to turn to things and to people and to, and to other situations instead of looking to God as the, the sum total of our existence. We look to people and we look to material objects And we put more of our energies and our trust in those things and that creates alienation. We're constantly producing and processing new idols of the imagination. But God persists in God's mercy, God's faithfulness, and God continued to form covenants, whether it was with Abraham, whether it was with the children of Israel on Mount Sinai, God continued to form covenants, and then through, through the coming of this great king, our Messiah Jesus, God formed a new covenant through his blood. The scriptures called this king, Jesus, the second Adam. And so, yes, there was a first Adam, and we know how that turned out. And everyone who came after Adam failed, but this king, this Messiah, walked in obedience and submission to God, walked in union with God, he often said, I must do what my father is telling me to do. And he was urging his followers to do the same, to walk in union with God. And he, through his life, redeemed and he restored and he broke the power of sin. And so our reading this morning is a remarkable restatement of what Jesus our Messiah did and what we failed to do, what we can't do, Christ accomplished on our behalf. And that's one of the reasons why I love the mission of our church. And for those of you who have never seen it before, it's in the bulletin, but I love to put it out there for the world to see as to why this church exists I believe the mission of this church really enters into the fullness of what God wants us to do. It has everything in that statement. It follows the long arc of the Bible. It it really does. Look at it. That this church exists, first of all, to know Jesus Christ, to walk in fellowship and in union with Christ and to grow in him, but it doesn't stop there. We have an obligation to each other as we serve, and as we make disciples in Evanston and in Chicago and around the world. And the reason why we can even desire to want to live into that mission is because of who King Jesus is, because of his life, because of his obedience, because of his death on the cross, because of his resurrection, because of his ongoing reign in heaven. And friends, that song we were singing, Not Be Moved, it's because Jesus is on the throne. He's not moved. He's described as King of Kings. He's described as Lord of Lords, and He is present within us through the Holy Spirit, and He gives us the power to be a new community. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, that the the, the wall that separated Jew from Gentile, that Jesus through his death, he demolished that wall. Jesus gives us the power to be this new community, to be this witness to the world. And believe it or not, through the church right now, we have this opportunity to live out what God intended in, in Eden, the Garden of Eden, where we experience what God intended from the beginning that we're made for God and for the sake of each other. And that's why if I had my druthers this morning, I would have us to read all four chapters of Colossians. Because Colossians, yes, it's one of the shortest of Paul's letters. In fact, he wrote four letters from a Roman prison somewhere. Do you remember some of the, the what those four letters are? We know Colossians is one of them. What were, what were some of the other ones? Ephesians was another one. Philippians, I heard that. And what's the fourth one? Philemon. Paul wrote these four letters. He wrote them from prison. But Colossians is by far in my opinion and every time I'm preaching on the New Testament, I got to look at Dr. KK because you know, he's the, he's the guy, the, the, the scholar in the New Testament. But, but Dr. KK, I would say that Colossians is by far the richest and most Christ-exalting letter that Paul has written. I think this book oozes Christ from the opening to the close. And what I want you to hear this morning is that a healthy church, a healthy community is different from any other church community, any other community. We're not the Y, we're not the Red Cross, we're not a local club, we're more than that. We are a community in fellowship with God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit and with each other. We are rooted in Christ. That's what's distinct about this community. Now, there are churches, and I was reading about the church in Laodicea, which incidentally is about 10 miles down the road from the church at Colossae. And the Laodiceans were once an active, rooted church, a Christ-exalting church, but when you read Revelation 2, you hear these sorrowful words of Jesus about the Laodiceans, he says that you are lukewarm. He says, I wish you were hot, I wish you were cold, but you're neither, you're lukewarm. And this happens to many churches, when Christ is no longer at the center of that community of the people's lives. Paul didn't plant this church. His friend and co-laborer, Epaphras, had that honor. Paul was in prison and heard that the church, this community was was being tempted to sort of get off center, And, and you heard it in the reading, To focus on new moons and to focus on festivals and to focus on whether the elemental spirits the demonic spirits who's really in charge of the world to focus on being an ascetic fasting to focus on all the stuff that people think they can manage instead of focusing on Christ and Paul then wrote this letter from a prison cell asking them to do something that a lot of our churches don't do anymore he asks them to read the letter. He sent his two good friends. He sent Tychius and Philemon. And he says, I want you to read the letter to that community in Colossae. In fact, if you have your Bibles... In fact, why don't you just do that? And I want you not to use your cell phone this time. (laughs) Yeah. I want you to pick up one of the Red Pew Bibles, if you will. And if somebody has the page... Number 191. 191. Can you do that? Can you go to page 191? Look at the last chapter, Colossians chapter 4, 193. Thank you. And look at verse 16. Well, let's start with verse 15. Colossians chapter 4, verse 15, are you all looking all heads down? Unless you got the Bible memorized, don't be looking at me. Chapter 4 and verse 15, Paul says, in closing, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Isn't that amazing? She must have had a a, a fairly sizable house to have a little church meeting there. Verse 16, and when this letter has been read among you, that's what they did. They read the letter among them. Have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. They read from the scriptures. These were real people, friends. This is a real community. These were men and women dealing with all of the problems that we deal with. Marriage, money, job, bills, conflict. These were real people and the community, the community of believers together in Christ sustained them as they dealt with the challenges that they faced in that first century Greek-Roman culture. So to get the fullness of his words, I'm gonna do something very different this morning. I want each of you to put away your phones as you have, and if you now would go with me to chapter one. And what I want you to do with me this morning, I want you to be counting as you read. Because when I read chapter one through chapter two, verse 19, I counted 32 direct or indirect references to King Jesus Messiah as the very center of this church. And I want you to see why Christ is so important to you and to me and to this fellowship. He is the glue that holds the church together. He is the one who gives us life and keeps us on the path as followers of Jesus. So I'm going to read it. And I want you to notice how many times did Paul reference Jesus, King Jesus, directly or indirectly. Let's start at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints, get your Bible out now. There's Bibles under your seat there. To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Verse 3, in our, in our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. for We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. So it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him as you bear fruit in every good work. And as you grow in the knowledge of God, may you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance, in the saints, in the light. He has rescued you from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, here are some of the most beautiful, beautiful words, possibly an ancient hymn that would have been sung. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, So that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue to securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, I, Paul, became a servant of the gospel. Verse 14, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generation but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known How great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature, complete in Christ. For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. For I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have seen me face to face, who have not seen me face to face. I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of a short understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying this, I'm saying this so that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in the body, yet I'm with you in spirit, and I rejoice to see your morale and the firmness of your faith in Christ. And here comes our reading for this morning. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Continue to live your lives in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it. And this is always the threat that you and I face in every generation, in every culture, in every church. See to it. That no one takes you captive through philosophy with empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him, friends, verse 9, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have come to fullness in him who is the head of every ruler and authority. Watch it again, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, when you were, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave all your trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink, or of observing festivals and new moons or Sabbath. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking." And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. What happens? What happens when we drift from Christ? And you say, Pastor, how could I ever drift from Christ? I've been a member at First Press forever and ever. I, 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 that, that could never happen. What happens when we drift from Christ? What happens when we neglect Christ? What happens when we fail to follow Christ? What happens when we stop believing that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? We're lost. The church is lost. We're dead. We're cold. We're lukewarm we are then left as sitting ducks enculturated by the dominant culture. What happens to a church filled with people who are not rooted in Christ? That church slowly, slowly but surely dies a death, becomes barren, becomes unfruitful, becomes ineffective. And I'm saying this to you based on the urgency that I see in Colossians. So what must we do then? What I would say to all of you this morning is that we then, as God's people, our response then is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Son of God and Savior of sinners. And the other thing I would ask you to do, and to do this every day, is to say, Lord, I submit my life to you again. Today, Lord, today I give you my life. I give you my all. I give you my heart. Take me. I'm yours. Use me strengthen me to live the life that you want me to live. And the other thing I would ask you to do then is to really ground this in reality by committing to a local church. We're not Gnostics. We believe in the materiality and the physicality of the local church, commit to a local church. And this is a great time to make that commitment because, because COVID has done a number on the world. It's done a number on the church. And some people don't know whether they should be coming or going. And I'm asking you during this time, this is a great time to recommit to that local body, whether it's just church or the church down the road. But don't be one of those Christians who say, well, I'm, I, I really don't go to church. I'm Spiritual. Don't buy that. Commit to a local church. And when you make that commitment, then show up. Let me ask you to do one more thing. Join a small group. And if you're already in a small group, make sure that in your group, at least these four things are happening every time you gather. Read scripture together. Read scripture together. Make a covenant within your group that if the scripture speaks to us today, ask the question, how does God want us to live out the scripture and then go do it? And the other thing I would ask you to do, if you're in a small group and if you're not, get into a group. And if you don't have any group you can get into, we have leaders here, people like Dan Shaw and and, um, Karen Shaw and others, you could even talk to me. We will find a way to train you so that you can start a group and begin practicing and being rooted in Jesus. I'm gonna say it again. I'm glad you're sitting in the pew, but that's not enough. I'm glad your name's on the roll, but that's not enough. What I want to ask of you is what Paul is asking of the church, to be rooted, to be grounded, and to be growing in Christ. Would you do that today? Even if this is your first Sunday and you're looking for a church, stop shopping. This is not price comparison. It's not gonna get any better or cheaper or more expensive. This is God's church. And if you don't like the music, then go find another church where you like the music and just, just, just get committed there. Stop the church shopping. And then just say to yourself, I'm all in. And if these doors open on a Sunday, I'm here. And, and if there's an opportunity to gather in a small group, I'm there, but, but, but find a way to get rooted because that's what community is. And if you're not experiencing that, you are drying up on the vine. You're drying up on the vine. And God's plan through the church is then being hampered by people like me and by you. So would you, would you, would you, would you join me in this quest today of being rooted and grounded in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God, say
0: i